HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. James Beard. You know the name and the prestigious awards in his name, but do you know anything about him? We're going to find out a lot today on A Taste of the Past. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this weekly journey through culinary history. And James Beard, indeed, is a name that we hear all the time uh, in the food. Those who are interested in food and pick up food magazines, um, you know, look at the front of cookbooks or um, restaurants where who have received uh, the prestigious award. But, you know, very few people know that much about him. And today I'm talking with two entrepreneurial young women and uh, film documentary producers, Beth Federici and Kathleen Squires, who have produced um, an incredible full-length feature-length film, documentary film, all about James Beard. And it is going to air on PBS on May 19th, all around the country. Check your various PBS listings for for that and i am so excited to be here to talk with them welcome kathleen is here in the studio with me welcome kathleen thank you for having me linda and beth is joining us from oregon and she's on the telephone beth are you there i am here hi Thanks for having us linda nice to be speaking with you well first of all i i have to i have to commend you personally for doing this film because i think it's such an important topic but um, one of you pipe in and tell me why, why did you choose James Beard as a topic? 
Well, Beth and I you are... Want to take that, cap? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, Beth and I are old uh, college friends, and uh, Beth is a, a documentary filmmaker. I'm a food writer. And that and I, that was my error. I have to backpack, backtrack. I was going right to my last page and forgot to give your bios. Indeed, Kathleen, you are a writer, a cookbook writer as well, mm-hmm. and, and a food writer, many other writers, and, um, and filmmaker. And Beth, you are a documentary filmmaker. Go on. So we uh, wanted to collaborate because um, I think Beth saw the rise in food and film kind of intertwining beyond what had already been out there. So we were thinking of how can we put together our talents. The idea didn't quite gel, though, until one day when I was coming back from lunch at the James Beard house. Uh And I was Skyping with Beth and I told her, oh, I just came back from the James Beard house. I had a wonderful lunch. And she said, what? You can eat lunch at James Beard's house? And I said, oh, yes, you can have dinner there five nights a week. And uh, they do. They put on a lot of events. And we started chit chatting about that. And Beth is based in Portland, Oregon, and a big fan of it. And I told her that James Beard was from Portland. Mm-hmm, I, indeed. And she didn't know that. And we started to talk about uh, the how people really know so little about James Beard. And that's when Beth asked me, has anyone made a film about the man? And, and I said, not to my knowledge. Yeah. Well, the film is called America's First Foodie. Right? James Beard, America's First Foodie, yep. And it is, it's interesting because... James Beard, this is the first film about him, and yet he was the first food person or cooking chef on television in America. So it's interesting that there are two firsts. He is the first, right. Um, Beth, you are a documentary filmmaker, but had you made a a film about food or a food personality before? I had not. I had not. Um, This was my first uh, entree into this world, and uh, Kathleen was a wonderful... Um, tour guide for me and introduced me, obviously, to all the wonderful people that are in the film. Um, if it really hadn't been for her connections in the world, I think this would have probably taken us a lot, lot, lot longer. Um, so it was uh, it was really a, a wonderful meeting of the minds and talents. Um, my other films have been ranged from a Bosnian refugee family to a 1970s architecture collective. So um, kind of runs a gamut. Well, and, and with any documentary, obviously, that shows your other types of films that it, it involves a lot of research and yes. talking to a lot of people. In fact, how, how long did it take to put this together? Four years. Yeah, four years from <laughs> four beginning to end, years. which yeah. in the documentary world is actually um, a little less than the average. So oh, interesting. we're pretty proud of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, how how much so you didn't really know that much about his life did did you know much about his life kathleen i knew a bit because i'd been a member of the foundation for 20 years and as a food writer of course you can't help but um read the works of james beard and, and uh, enjoy his recipes uh so i knew um a bit about him, but not quite as much as I know now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's back up a little bit for our listeners because you knew him, knew about him through the found, as you say, the foundation. You went to eat there. A lot of people don't know that soon after his death, there was a, fo- a foundation was formed. Can yes. you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so uh, James Beard died in 1985, and the his townhouse was 
going to be put up for sale. And um, a group of people, including uh, Julia Child and Peter Kumpf and um, personal friends of of James Beard, um, Caroline Stewart, who was his assistant, who was in our film, um, gathered together. Larry Fordione was one of them, too. Wolfgang Puck. Um, Jonathan Waxman. Yeah, Jonathan Waxman. They gathered together and um, banded together to see what they could do to save the house and to establish a culinary foundation in his name. And so there are well-known chefs from around the world who come in and or are, are asked to come in and cook dinners for the members of the foundation. And as you say, every night there's another dinner or lunch or an event, and it's really quite quite spectacular. And you know, it's it's a fun fun event to go to um, if you have the opportunity when you're in New York City. Um, the when you were uh, started approaching this film and learning more about him um, and his contributions to the food world, I guess, um, Beth, for you, um, was there anything particularly surprising about his life that that you tripped up upon? Yeah, you know, um, I would say I, you know, I started my research with um, Delights and Prejudices, which is his own autobiography that he published in 1964. Mm-hmm. And um, he just writes so delightfully about um, his, his childhood in, in Oregon, in Portland. And I think um, one, of my, one of the surprises was how um, what an incredibly strong and powerful woman his mother was. Um, you clearly can see the connection between um, his love and uh, knowledge about food and and her obsession with food and knowledge about food. Um, and then also, I think the thing that we talk about a lot is the fact that there was this gentleman, um, uh, Juliet, who was a Chinese chef that had worked with his mom in her boarding house and then came over to their personal house to work with her. She entertained a lot, so she, uh, he was there to help her a lot. And he really became James Beard's kind of godfather. Um, his own father was kind of in and out of the picture, mm-hmm. and um, and he so he he had this incredible Asian West Coast influence that he took with him to New York and was with him for the rest of his career. So I think that that was really interesting. Um, obviously, him getting asked to leave Reed College um, for his homosexual activities, I think, had come as a surprise. I mean, Kathleen um, told me a little bit about that, but as I read uh, both the biography about him and and his own writings, um, I found that interesting because Reed is such a a liberal um, place, but it was the 1920s, and you have to kind of keep all of that in perspective, um, what was going on in this country in the 20s, prohibition, other types of kind of um, prohibitive uh, rulings, and so um, he that I found that really interesting as well. That's right. And Kathleen, how about you? Anything that, that that you knew a lot about him already, but anything in all the research you did for the film that kind of jumped out and said, "Wow, I never knew that." I never knew his role in establishing City Meals on Wheels mm-hmm. with Gail Green. So I found that uh, very surprising. Mm-hmm. And um, just to see into the organization that it has grown into today is astounding. And I think a, a great example of um, James Beard's legacy today. Uh, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, there's so. I mean, he. I mean, he touched so many um, facets of the food world, and not just cooking. And 
actually he's often been hailed as the father of American cooking, um, the first foodie, yes, I mean, but, but really father of American cooking. There's that wonderful quote that Julia Child said, you know, in her voice I can hear, I brought, I brought French cuisine to America, but James Beard brought American cuisine to America, which is, yep. which is so true. Yeah. Um, the, he, you know, you, you, you mentioned that he was asked to leave Reed College, and that, of course, when you read a lot of um, the background information on him, it doesn't say why, it rarely says why, and today, you know, it can, you know, it comes out, and of course it was in his, bi- in his autobiography, but um, he never let that deter him, and, it, and certainly it did not in many ways. I mean, he went on to be a, a very flamboyant figure in many ways, right? <laughs> Absolutely, uh, yes. Uh, and first appeared on television in 1946. I mean, that was, that was you know, groundbreaking, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, they weren't even sure television was actually going to make it as a medium. That's so, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is hilarious when you think about that. But uh, yeah, so he was he was really early, early. And Linda, back to surprising things. I think when we found some footage of James Beard, I was really surprised at how bad he was on television. Yes, yes. <laughs> Especially because of you know the big personality that he had and the stories people would tell. You would think he would be a natural, but he kind of froze up. Uh, he was a deer in the yeah. headlights. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, and he would be on with other people often, which was so much better for him when he was sitting alone in front of the camera was not his forte no. <laughs> Definitely exactly. yeah. but he had such a great face mm-hmm. i mean and i love the yeah. fact that your promo for the movie is i will post that on the on the on the page and you can see that a lot if you google uh, james beard the first foodie the movie um it's a great picture of his of his face and it just and there's warmth and yet uh I don't know some authority and knowledge and 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 a little twinkle in his eye, yeah, like he's absolutely. got he's got some secrets yeah. back there. <laughs> right. Absolutely, and he had a great voice. I mean, he did yes. um, he did a lot of radio work. It was hard to track down because radio back in those days they they uh, they didn't really keep they didn't really keep the tapes. You know, they would tape over things. Same thing with television. Right. So it was hard to find um, a lot of those early radio interviews, but I think he was probably much better on the radio yeah. um, than he was on television because he had that fabulous voice. Yes, and, and, and presence, a big man, you know, with a big presence. Yeah. Large presence. Um, you know, talking about finding footage and finding radio interviews, that was one of my main questions for the two of you is, you know, Yes, I see you. There's this exhausting list of participants who you interviewed for the film. But finding primary sources, you know, seeing him on on television and hearing him on the radio, and um, what was were these some of the more difficult challenges for you in trying to find out about his life? Absolutely, absolutely. Bringing anybody who has passed away. Um, to life in a visual medium, especially when they didn't necessarily work in a visual medium. They worked in a worked in in the printed page. Um, was was a big challenge, um, and we were lucky. Um, he, in his own archive uh, that was left, um, and now lives at NYU at the Fales Library. And the folks over there, Marvin Taylor and his crew, were incredibly helpful. Um, they had stuff in their own collection that was that were that were gems, copies of a few things. And then um, 
the Food Network actually uh, had some of those early TV shows that they had acquired, and they they, they lent to us. Um, but there's just not that much out there that actually exists um, of the moving image. And so, yeah, we had to be creative in how we could kind of bring his story um, to life visually. And that's when we decided um, to use animation. Um, so the animation, I think, uh, is really charming, and it, it also helps to kind of fill in that gap um, of that missing kind of moving image footage. Right. And one thing people should know is that those those animations, m- most of them, are actually based on the original illustrations that uh, were in his autobiography, Delights and Prejudices. And um, I was really fortunate to track down Earl Thollander's daughter, and she gave us permission to use those drawings and animate them. So they have a direct tie to James Beard, um, not just in their context, but in the fact that they he had a very good relationship with Earl and loved his drawings and felt that his drawings kind of evoked James Beard's own kind of whimsical spirit, and um, and I agreed. So we were really grateful we could use those. Yeah, that's a wonderful, a wonderful little tidbit to know about that, you know, before going into, you know, watching the film and, and, and hearing that. And, and have to, you know, we have to remember that he was born in 1903, and where food, the food world has come since that time, I mean, to really be a pioneer, and as you say, to try to make a movie about a person who was, you know, born before the, this whole television craze, even though he was on television, was I'm indeed, I'm sure, challenging. Um, Kathleen, I've got the list here of all the people you and Beth spoke to and interviewed, and who actually even appeared in the film, many of them. That must, that in itself, just, you know, talking to one person and finding out, oh, you should talk to another person. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) how did that work for you? It worked out really well, as a matter of fact, because everyone so readily stood up and said, we want to help tell his story. Um, And then they directed us to other people, and people helped us track down people we may not have otherwise have found easily. So that worked uh, really well, and just the fact that people were so eager and we didn't have to really beg them (laughs) uh, was was, uh, terrific. Yeah, it seems like everyone always loves to talk about him. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they, you yeah, know. exactly. <laughs> um, and he taught so many people to cook. Oh yes, I mean, he really, he was, he was really quite the teacher. And that was a business that he kept up for a long time. Right? He was, I think, that was mm-hmm. his real passion was teaching and being a mentor. And the chefs today, I mean, Jonathan Waxman, he was, he James Beard was his mentor, and people like Larry Forgione and um, even the new generation, like Mark Forgione feels um, the, you know, James Beard, the hand of James Beard, as we like to say, uh, <laughs> in his cooking today. Yeah. And there, I mean, it's interesting because in the list of people, there are people who knew him well personally, <clears throat> and, and also people, as you say, who he taught to cook, who are, you know, much younger of today's generation, um, and then there are people who who actually studied him. Uh, so it's a it's a very interesting, very interesting list of people. And this list that I have are these these are all those who were interviewed in the film. Oh yeah, those are the, those this are the is who, the full list of everyone that we had spoken to. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was quite extensive. I mean, we ended up with over a hundred hours of footage from talking <laughs> with all of these yeah. people. At, at which point, we must um, acknowledge Greg Snyder, who was oh the editor gosh. of the film. Oh, yes. Yes. yes, yes, yeah, and, uh, he's a genius. 
in what what was probably the most difficult part of making this film for you in, ter- in terms of where I don't know well first of all let me ask what slant did you want to give it I mean what were you trying to you know was the theme what were you trying to present well I think, I think we were mm-hmm. trying I mean we've always said that it was kind of uh, a century of food through the lens of this one man I mean that was kind of our goal was how you know make it a personal story make it fun and funny and make him um a whole human being, but also show um, that, you know, how the food world evolved over these nine decades. And I think probably the hardest part and the biggest challenge was what we ended up having to leave out. Like I mentioned, we had to leave out the story about Juliet, and we had to leave out the story about um, Helen Evans Brown, who was his dear friend, and um, his longtime editor published a book called Love and Kisses and a Halo of Truffles that was... all their letters back and forth. I mean, they wrote to each other five times a week for 14 years, um, from basically 1950 to 1964 when Helen died of cancer. And so um, you also, through their letters, you can just see how the food world and writing and radio and talking about food was just, it was just exploding. And so um, I think that was the challenge, was what had to go. And a PBS hour is, you know, you know, it ended up being 52 minutes of content, and you know, trying to cover nine decades in 52 minutes is, you know, it, it, was, it was a bear. So oh, we're really, yeah. really proud um, of what we were able to accomplish. And we know there'll be people who will say, "Well, you left out so and so." Well, <laughs> believe me, we we had to leave out a lot of so and sos. Yeah, oh, I'm at sure. The end of the day, I'm sure it's just you know that's. Of course, that always leaves room for more, right? People, <laughs> the well, sequel. Yes, right, the sequel. <laughs> um, well, I want to ask you some questions about um, some of those things that were left out, too, when we come back after a short break. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese-American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. What better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. Hi, we're back. And I'm talking with Beth Federici and Kathleen Squires. Beth is an award-winning documentary filmmaker and television producer. And Kathleen is a food writer and uh, in news, newsprint blogs and and essays. And she also has just uh, had a book published with Jen Lewis called Greens, a cookbook. Wonderful. Um, And they have produced... They are co-producers on a new film called James Beard, America's First Foodie. 
And James Beard, of course, is is indeed the the big name in food, born in 1903 and often hailed as the father of American cookery. If you look in any Cook's well-stocked library, you will most likely find one of his books. Some of the, the more classic titles that that um, are still popular, James Beard Cookbook, Beard on Bread, James Beard's Theory and Practice of Good Cooking, and then a compilation of the new James Beard, which was um, uh, made, actually, which was published shortly before he died, I think. There were others, but these were the ones that you most likely will find on people's shelves. And um, tell me, you've had a, several different premieres of this around the country of mm-hmm. the of the movie already. Um, so what now the people who are coming to these premieres are obviously people who are either involved in the film or the food world, some organization that took part in it. What were some of the reactions of the people who who um, attended the premieres? You know, uh, we screened initially at the Sonoma International Film Festival, and I was personally delighted, as I know Beth was as well, uh, that several times throughout the film, people just broke out into applause for for seeing familiar faces like Uh. Alice Waters come on the screen and hearing her remembrances and... Danielle Baloud and doing the Chef's Deliver program with City Meals on Wheels as an example of James Beard's legacy. People would just start applauding. And I (laughs) just love that. So that reaction of people who really get it and uh, they get James Beard's influence. And uh, at that festival, we actually won the Audience Award for Best Documentary. So it was a really great way to start. Right, Beth? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, since then, um, you know, Kathy and I usually stand in the back, and people laugh at all the right spots, and <laughs> we see people dabbing at their eyes, so we know that they're crying at the right spot. Yeah. And that, you know, for a filmmaker, that's what you want. You know, you want to make sure that people find the things that you thought were so funny, <laughs> that they find them funny. So it's been, it's been really wonderful. And I have to say that... Um, you know, the participants, nobody saw this until now. I mean, they would, that's my policy. You don't share with participants beforehand. It's a slippery slope. Yeah. And so for all of these people to be so happy, you know, because they didn't know. You know, here's these two gals that come to them like three years ago. They kind of go away. You don't hear much from them. <laughs> and for them to be so happy, was, that was our main goal, um, was just that the people that participated and gave us so much of their time, walked away feeling that it was worth it um, and were proud to be involved in it. So I think for us, it's just we've been on the cloud. Yeah, I mean, to hear uh, Clark Wolf, who was a dear friend of James Beard's, tell us that we really got him. And to hear uh, Jonathan Waxman say that everyone should see this film and you needed another hour. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely, <laughs> definitely. I mean, the man lived a long life, and he had, mm-hmm. he was such an you know an influ- influencer on uh, on the culinary world. Mm-hmm. Um, did anything? Did you bring anything out in particular, or any statement made about what uh, one of a major influence of his? was that came out in this film we figured this spanned the years of people weren't in america were not into into food and cooking yet we're the gourmet end of it Mm -hmm. where we are today i think james beard made home cooks feel at ease and comfortable and uh, feel capable he made it very accessible for home cooks and uh also if you look at for example he um 
collaborated with the restaurateur Joe Baum on the Four Seasons. He helped write the menu. Right, yeah. He helped the design. And that was really, that was 1959. And farm to table at a restaurant was really not a thing yet. And James Beard, now that influence, everybody's farm to table. Everybody wants to claim that right. um, using local ingredients, uh, locavorism. And I think that's where you really feel James Beard's influence today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe, Beth, you being out in Oregon, perhaps it was because he was born in Portland? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I came to Portland the first time in 1990 and then just moved back about five and a half years ago. And so we kind of, he and I did the opposite. He went from Portland to to New York, and I came from basically New York, New Jersey to Portland. And, um, yeah, I mean, without a doubt, the the bounty of the Pacific Northwest, and the beauty of the Pacific Northwest, I think, um, you know, he lived in his heart his his whole life, and you definitely see that um, in his in his recipes. Right, and and, he, and, and I, I think that if he, you know, it's, I, people say like, you know, what do you think he would think about food blogs and everything today? And I think that he would love it. I think that if they had existed, maybe at the end of his life, he might have even considered moving back to Oregon because you can stay so connected um, in ways that you couldn't. You kind of had to be in New York if you wanted to be part of that world, you know, at his time. But I think that if he could have been blogging every day from, you know, his front porch in Portland or the coast, he probably would have loved that. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. I, that, I mean, he was a contributor to Gourmet Magazine and, and um, I think House and Garden or... Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, there weren't a lot of, there weren't even a lot of the food magazines around that much, you know, I mean, later on, you know, yes, but uh, early on there weren't, weren't that, those, that many avenues for him to, um, you know, to write and contribute. But I think you're right, he would have, he would have stayed in touch. And in his books, you know, I mentioned Oregon, but you know, in his books, he, he often referred to um, ingredients and, well, the best ingredient, of course, you have to go to, and he, you know, name a, a state or a location around America. I mean, it would be, it was all, you know, about the American bounty, which I thought was really very interesting for a, you know, a writer at that time to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Instead of saying uh, the chanterelles in France right. are the best, he would say, hey, get them from Oregon. That's right. That's <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly, yeah. um, and as much as the the word foodie is derided by <laughs> by much of the food world, I mean it 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 is so perfect in describing him. He was a, a the America's first foodie, indeed, and and loved the food. What um, what was your takeaway, if you will? I mean, I know it's an overused um, question or phrase, but what was your takeaway from this project? If if you could pinpoint any one thing. Beth, you want to start with that? Wow. Um, I think my takeaway would be that, um, that, you know, he was really influencing the food world uh, very, very early on. And again, like I mentioned, his mother, even before him, she was um, way ahead of her time at the turn of the century. And I think that, I think that people kind of um, think about for example, like the home economics movement. We all kind of remember those 50s industrial films, and we think that the Campbell's, you know, canned soup craze started in the 50s. But truthfully, it actually started 
um, at the turn of the century, and his mother would have none of that. She was mm-hmm. never going to use, you know, any kind of canned soup in any of her recipes. And I think we kind of forget that, you know, that was already happening in the teens and the 20s, and um, that he was pushing back as she was and reminding people that you can have great, inexpensive food on your table if you have some guidance and you know where to get the ingredients and um, and that it really goes back even farther and that he he was he really was a leader and he deserves to be getting that credit absolutely yeah. for yeah. me I think it was how influential he was um, and how prolific in a time before technology um, think about how today people use you know social media and the internet and and television uh, to get their message out about their their mission whatever it is whether it be food or not and how instantly that happens well james beard i feel accomplished that without the benefit of technology and through so many mediums through his newspaper columns through his magazine writing through his cookbooks through his teaching through his even his television career paving the way for people like julia child and jacques papin right that's right and and he and his personal connection i think he Mm -hmm. just had that that way of of connecting you know, personally with people. Obviously, all the people you talk to and all the, the people you interview, I mean, everyone has, you know, something special to, yeah. that they remember, you know, about him, to say about him. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember, too, that he, these, this was back in the day, he would have to do his own commercial. Dione Lucas, one of the early ones after yes. him, out, right after him, would do their own commercials, have <laughs> to talk about the products themselves. And then he would flatly refuse to, to talk about some things that he just didn't, you know, that he really was not um, uh, a fan of or that he, you know, didn't didn't think that it was quality. If it was good flour, you know, he would talk about good flour, right? Yeah. <laughs> you have a piece of that. I think you have something in the film yes. about the flour advertisement and talking about it. Yes. Those were the silly times on television with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's, it is certainly um, uh, a film that will will have an impression on a lot of people and I think be very meaningful to a lot of people who don't, as I said, don't know anything about him so much, but certainly know his name and just say, oh, yeah, James Beard, and it has to do with food. And, and now, prestige. Mm-hmm. I mean, the award is attached, you know, the James Beard Awards through the foundation are attached to, um, you know, to fine endeavors in the food world. And, and that was certainly something I think would please him very much. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I again thank both of you for for sharing your time with me about this film and and uh, and for the work that you did over all those <laughs> years, four years. Wow, on one project, it was any time a point that you that you were ready to to throw it, fold it, and and say you know, this is too difficult. I, I don't think we were ever going to fold it, um, but uh, we do have to mention that this is a co-production with American Masters and. If it had not been for Michael Cantor, um, you know, I reached out to him via my contact here in Oregon at Oregon Public Broadcasting, um, which, by the way, I do have to say one thing. Oregon Public Broadcasting did make a half-an-hour piece maybe 10 years ago at this point um, that was about James Beard, but it was all about him in Oregon. 
and um, and it was a short. And so um, we do have to give them credit, um, but they, you know, it was not a comprehensive film that covered his whole life, and it didn't talk about New York or any of the other places that he lived. So, um, but when I reached out to Michael, he just knew that. You know, this was um, kind of a no-brainer. And oh, yeah. Kathy and I, from day one, had said, we think that James Beard should be an American Masters. I mean, literally from the first conversation. So, <laughs> um, we, you know, when they swooped in and said, yes, we will, we will you know, we will provide you with finishing funds, um, you know, then we knew we could really bring it over the finish line in a, in a timely fashion. We did do a Kickstarter campaign before that, um, and we thank all of our Kickstarter supporters, but it was certainly not enough to finish. And so... It just might have taken us a lot longer if we had had to kind of nickel and dime it together. So, yay for American yeah. Masters um, <laughs> saving the day. Well, the American Masters series, thats and I will mention this again, um, they will premiere this film on, um, on your local public broadcasting systems. Uh, premieres Friday, May 19th. Now, it may not be the same date everywhere, but is yes. it? Is it, it? Check your local listings, absolutely. Um, many markets will have it on the 19th, but some are changing it up a little bit for their uh, local, for the ben- benefits of their local audiences. So definitely check your local listings. If you're in yeah. New York City, it will be 9 p.m. Uh, 9 May, PM on May, May 19th. 19th on WNET. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. true. And I should say that OPB, Oregon Public Broadcast, is one of those stations, and they are going to be airing it on Sunday, May 21st at 7 p.m. So for any of our Oregon listeners, they should know that. So That's great. Well, easy enough to check your local listings for your local public broadcasting station. And um, I, I can't wait. I just think it's going to be it, – it's such an important – an important film. I think you did a you did a good thing. Oh, <laughs> really you. did a good thing. Um, he indeed is an important person to be um, remembered in this way. Thanks again, Kathleen Squires and Beth Federici. Thank you for joining us from Oregon, and thanks for listening. This has been a taste of the past, and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.